1: Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.
0: Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hello and happy hump day, Bengals fans. We have news. There has been some movement in the defensive coordinator search in Cincinnati. Lou Anna Rumo, whose name I have to really slow down to pronounce correctly right now, is coming in for an interview to be defensive coordinator and is at this point considered to be the favorite. Lou goes back with Zach Taylor to Miami. He met Joe Philbin coaching together at Harvard, where he was the defensive backs coach And that's what he's done for his career. He's been a defensive backs coach in professional and college football. He did have an interim defensive coordinator job in Miami when Philbin was fired before Adam Gase came on. And when Adam Gase came on, he was retained in Miami as a defensive backs coach. He hasn't had a ton of success, I would say, as a defensive backs coach. He coached Brent Grimes best year in Miami. Most recently, he was in New York. So he did coach Landon Collins there. That is a potential free agent connection. This is another person that Zach Taylor knows from his time in Miami, along with Jim Turner. And one interesting note on Anarumo, he graduated from university with a degree in special education. Joe, what are your thoughts?
1: I have nothing more than, of course, this is a guy that knows Zach Taylor and has worked with him. Uh, When he became the interim defensive coordinator, Zach became the interim offensive coordinator in the same year. Uh, they work together in Miami. It seems like Zach is struggling to uh, gain the interest of defensive coordinators around the league. And because of it, he's dipping into somebody he knows that wasn't his first choice, obviously. But, you know, it could be the right choice if it works out. I just think at this point, I don't care. Just get somebody in here so we can move forward and do the right thing. I do like the Landon Collins connection. I also like that he was in Miami when they drafted Xavier Howard. So he developed him for two years. Howard had his best year, I believe, last year. So it wasn't while Aruma was on the staff. But I do think Janoris Shankins has also played well for
0: the Giants while he's been there. So all in all, whatever. <laughs> whatever, indeed. And it is isn't going to be, at the very least, a hard name for Bengals fans to pronounce. Anna Rumo. It's a real name. Yeah, meltdown. so
1: I was completely wrong on that. I'm sorry.
0: That's okay. <laughs> I think it'll be hard for everybody. Uh, moving on, hopefully we have a defensive coordinator. It would be nice to have one before the combine. There's a lot of work to do, as we've talked about. There's some other defensive coaching roles that we need to fill out as well, and having the defensive coordinator is the first step. Moving on quickly, Paul Daner this week of the Cincinnati Enquirer is doing a series of what should, what, what should the offseason plan be. Yesterday was defense. We talked about that on the podcast yesterday. Today he did offense. And he has three major suggestions for the offense today. Number one, and I didn't expect this from Daner, is find your Patrick Mahomes. He mentions that the team did work on Rudolph and Jackson in the draft last year, who went to Pittsburgh and Baltimore, respectively. And he has an interesting quote from Duke Tobin that neither Joe nor I had seen until today. This probably came out of a quote-unquote secret meeting with Duke Tobin down in Mobile, Alabama. And the quote goes as follows. It doesn't appear that there's going to be a Peyton Manning of the group, but they each have some traits that are interesting. There are some guys with size. There are some guys that lack size. There are some guys with arm strength. The thing we look for more than anything is accuracy and anticipation, and I think there are some guys that have that in this draft. But again, we don't feel that it's a very top-heavy draft.
1: I think that sounds like Dwayne Haskins and Daniel Jones. I I think anticipation accuracy for both those guys can be on point. Uh, I also think Kyler Murray's in there because he said we have some smaller guys, which definitely he's referring to Kyler Murray there. Uh, So that's interesting to me. And I think for Danner to put it on there that find your Patrick Mahomes, that should be every year unless you have a top five, six guy. And if you don't, then you should always be aware of what quarterback could potentially be an elite player at that position in any draft. Uh, and you should always be open to it. So if, if he's also, you know, meaning that in that, in that phrase of find your, Mahomes, then we're, I think anyone would agree with it, no matter what you feel about Andy Dalton to be, always be aware of what quarterbacks in any draft class could take you to another level.
0: So Joe, let's say you're the Patriots and you have, I mean, Tom Brady's not a great example. So maybe you're the Packers and you're picking late in the first round and Aaron Rodgers is he's, he's past 30 now. Are, are you always looking to move up every year
1: yeah i think you would always explore it is say you have that guy that older quarterback uh you probably have two minds about it is there a guy that we have to go up and get and can we get him but also if you have an older quarterback that's still an elite guy like rogers and brady and so on breeze it's hard to spend the capital it takes to move up that high and risk hurting your window that's that's still remaining open for having an elite quarterback so I think the other part of it is it's never worth it and that's probably why we don't see it happen but if a guy we really like falls and, and, and is there and available they'll definitely pull the trigger and we've seen that also that's how Aaron Rodgers became Aaron Rodgers for the Green Bay Packers
0: right Yep. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at is is it worth the price to these teams that are currently you know you have the quarterback you can win right now yeah, maybe, maybe Patrick Mahomes is there, but how do you go get him? And, and that can be a, a balance for NFL teams. So I'm not saying that's where the Bengals are. Obviously, they're in a position where moving up wouldn't be prohibitively expensive if they have a guy that they like and they think can be the next Mahomes. Right.
1: And if you want to get a quarterback in any draft, especially lately, you're going to have to move up. Ten of the last 11 required a trade-up. The only one was the first overall pick, Baker Mayfield. So... If the Bengals are interested in a quarterback, and I think a lot of, I think that's where a split happens also with Bengals fans, is they say, yeah, I'm open to a quarterback if it's a guy they love. And then if you add on top of it, well, it's going to cost you a few premium picks also, that that group shrinks a little bit even more and says, well, hang on now, nothing's a guarantee. Well, and I, and I usually reply, well, no position is a guarantee. So if you believe a quarterback is that guy, and it costs you an extra second or third or even next year's first, depending on how high you're going, uh, if it works out, then it's worth it.
0: That is the price of elite quarterback playing the NFL. A couple other suggestions from Daner here. He talks about solidifying the offensive line, obviously something we've talked about a lot on this podcast. He mentions the Jawan James connection to Jim Taylor from Miami, the right tackle, free agent. We've talked about Darrell Williams and some other guys at that spot as well. He also mentions Roger Saffold, who is a free agent guard from the Los Angeles Rams. But in doing so, he mentions that Clint Bowling might be a a cap casualty as he only has five hundred thousand dollars of dead cap penalty and would save five hundred or sorry, five million against the cap. I don't like
1: that. What's that? I was going to say, I don't like that.
0: Yeah. To me, it doesn't make sense to cut Bowling and then sign Saffold, who is in his 30s, is going to cost more money. So that bit doesn't make sense to me, but Jawan James, sure. Yeah, we need a right tackle. That's where we're looking. And he talks about, you know, sliding Westerman in to bowling spot and then maybe signing an- another guard. But again, that, that seems like you're creating work.
1: Yeah. And maybe that's part of the rebuild process, right? And what's more important to find out what, exactly what you have in Westerman or to keep bowling for another year or two and really, you know, what you have? Uh, so there, we talk about rebuild on the podcast. Last week, I think it was Wednesday, and that's not something we brought up, but I think if I'm looking at it through that lens, it makes more sense because getting a young player like Westerman up to speed and going in the final year of his deal would be much more valuable uh, to the future of this core Bengals roster than it would be holding on to Clint Bowling.
0: And I like Bowling a lot, and so we'll see what happens there. I I think they have a spot to play Westerman right now while they can keep Bowling on the team is a thing. Yeah. So we'll see where it goes. I mean, Bowling is not making a ton of money. He's not sucking down cap space that they could use elsewhere or that they even would use elsewhere right now. So again, this this doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but it's been on Daner's mind for a couple of years now. So it could be something that the Bengals are looking at.
1: Yeah, it could be. And again, I think you're right. If the, if part of the issue, it seems like from the hints I've gotten, is that Westerman is a left guard only. But he did get a chance to play some right guard last year when Redman became too much to bear, I think, for the coaching staff towards the end of the season, as typical for the time that Christian Westerman gets to play. Uh, he did get to play right guard, and he didn't look bad. Uh, he looked better at left guard, but still, uh, if you give him a full camp or full year of practice, off of practice, no doubt in my mind that he would be at least a,
0: potentially the best guard of that group that that could vie for the right guard spot. So some offensive line questions that will shake out inevitably. One last thing that Paul Dana recommends is maybe dipping into the free agency well at tight end. He does mention that last year in, t- in talking about retaining one of or two or three of the free agent tight ends on the roster, Los Angeles did pursue Tyler Eifert last year, and they were one of the only other teams to do so. So there is potentially some interest uh, from Zach Taylor in in tyler eifert and the kind of offense he wants to run cj uzama seems like the one that everybody wants to keep around he doesn't seem like he'd be too expensive but he's doing a lot of things that you want your second or third tight end to do daner does talk about bringing in a veteran jared cook who has been durable and productive in the past game in oakland and there is a brian callahan connection there and cook has been productive
1: and would be And interesting. He's kind of been a late bloomer, but we've talked about this on previous episodes also that tight end tends to be uh, probably the most late blooming position in the NFL at this point. But I think the transition from college to NFL can take some time for what they're asked in college to be strictly receivers to all around players. Uh, So I'm not against Cook. I think spending money there maybe prohibits you from spending a high draft pick and in this class I think I'd want to draft a guy in the second third or fourth round I wouldn't want to draft that guy and sit him for two or three years or really play him in a limited role even though I just did say that they take a while to to develop I wouldn't want to have that plan of not using a premium pick um, as early as possible when ready because you have a free agent in front of him that's making a good amount of money
0: and I think Cook will get probably a multi-year deal he's 32 But he's coming off of some solid, productive years. He's been very healthy. So he's probably going to get a deal that would make you want to play him. So, you know, it's not a thing where, you know, you bring him in for a year. Maybe you do. Maybe somebody gets him for a year. And if you were to get him for a year, that could be nice to bridge the gap to a guy like Hawkinson or Fant or Sternberger. Sternberger. So we'll see what happens there. I I think that you're probably right that the price tag for Cook will be prohibitive and the years for a 32-year-old tight end might be prohibitive for the Bengals, but it's an interesting name. And it's an interesting idea in terms of there is literally no one on the roster right now that you want to play tight end for the Bengals.
1: Yeah. And let's say, because there is a scenario, since none of the three current tight ends are under contract there's a scenario that none of them return, and they start fresh there at that position because it's not a guarantee you ever get any of your free agents back, even if it looks like from the outside that it's a a fit for the team and player. So, yeah, if you end up in that situation, then you should be looking at free agency and veterans to bring guys in, and in that scenario, it could be a free agent and a high draft pick.
0: So some interesting ideas there for the offense from Paul Dander at the Cincinnati Inquirer. After the break, though, we continue our roster review for the Cincinnati Bengals, and this week we get into specialists and safeties, two of the smaller position groups. So stick with us after the break to find out if Randy Bullock is a kicker of the future in Cincinnati.
1: Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast as we continue our positional review. Yesterday we did cornerbacks, and we'll stay in the secondary and finish off that group with safeties first. It's a good group, I think, uh, with a second-round pick that hit it off right away, Jesse Bates being their best one. I think everyone would agree at this point, mostly because his ability is more rare, I think, in in that unit of having the athleticism, ball skills, and range. Uh, But 21 years old. And taking him in the in the second round was a great pickup for for him, and it allowed them to cut veteran George Iloka, which was one of the surprise releases of the offseason last year. After him, you have Sean Williams, who is uh, making five million dollars a year, a little bit more than everybody else. This this entire group is making seven point four million against the cap, which is under the average. For the league, I think positional wise, you could look to spend fourteen, fifteen million and feel really good about that position without overspending. Uh, w- Williams taking up five million of that seven point four. George Loken taking up one point two still with dead money. So I think overall they've got great value there and could even spend if they wanted to, as, as we've uh, thrown around the idea of uh, Landon Collins in a hybrid role. But the backups to them, I think, are unknowns around the league, but quality players. First, Clayton Fedulum, who was a former seventh round pick, has been a great player on special teams for them. And really, when he's had a chance to play, has been productive and could step into either free or strong safety. And honestly, from a film standpoint, I enjoy watching him because of his energy and the way he runs around. Uh, The final two guys are Brandon Wilson, former sixth round pick out of Houston, who tested really well. And Started to get a little bit of a roll towards the end of last year as a hybrid safety linebacker that could cover tight ends and back, and running backs out of the backfield. And Trayvon Henderson, undrafted guy, I want to say Hawaii, that they liked but really didn't get a chance to make an impact on the team as he didn't make the roster initially, I don't believe. And uh, from there, I think overall, Bengals fans feel comfortable with this unit. I do. I think there's a lot of upside in Jesse Bates. I think Williams is one of their better run defenders, one of their most willing run defenders and tone enforcers on the defense. So I like Sean Williams. I do think they could get better or they can use more three safeties in their
0: defense if Fedulim takes another step in his development. Um, Jake, what do you think about this unit? You've hit hit on each of the players, and I'll just give my quick notes on each as well. I, I think Jesse Bates is a star in the making. Uh, Many of you Bengals fans probably saw Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus giving his mock interview to be the defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. And one guy he talks about a lot is Jesse Bates, and he compares him to Harrison Smith in terms of his rare ability to make spectacular plays on the ball in quarters coverage. So he's got that free safety center fielder capability and we saw it last year he made some ridiculous interceptions just great anticipation and and break on the ball so that's really exciting he's a guy that the Bengals haven't really had at the free safety spot in a long time maybe ever people might point to Reggie Nelson in terms of playmaking but I think Bates is on a different level in terms of ability uh, Sean Williams for me is a very flexible player, and I really appreciate that he has been solid in coverage. But you can put him in the box; he's a bigger guy. He's willing to, like he said, he's a willing run defender, and that's been a very useful piece for the Bengals, just because they need, you know, having that guy that can play up front or deep is is a useful thing to have on a team. And Sean Williams actually had the same number of. Pass breakups plus interceptions was Jesse Bates last year, both of them at seven. Sean Williams had five picks last year, including one really nice one, undercutting a route against the Steelers that I think made some top 10 Bengals plays of 2018 list this week. Very similar to the interception he
1: had against the Buccaneers where he undercut the the route playing a robber. Uh, They switch from a cover two to a cover one and he drops underneath and intercepts that slot receiver. Uh, So yes, I think Williams has had a knack in his career for coming up with the big play and the big moment. And he's had a lot of mistakes, too, missed tackles and penalties and you know, hitting guys a little too hard and, and getting flagged. But I do think Williams may have that innate ability to make a play when you need one.
0: Yeah, and there's something about that, that clutch, that big play. And, and you're right, he's, he does, both Bates and Williams have tackling issues, but generally I think this is a pretty solid unit. And like you said, Clayton Fedulim has been fantastic in limited defensive snaps. He got extended run in three games last year, and in two of them, he had very solid showings. Against Indianapolis, he essentially won the game. Right, uh, He made the game-winning play. The Colts are driving down in the fourth quarter to go ahead in a four-point game, and Fedulim forces a fumble, recovers the fumble, and takes it back for a touchdown with 30 seconds left or something like that to, to put the game on ice. And this is a seventh-round pick. He's a fantastic special teams uh, contributor. He's been one of the top-ranked guys by Pro Football Focus for the Bengals in uh, special teams grades for a while. And you don't feel bad when you need to go and replace Sean Williams or Jesse Bates for a few plays. And I I, I was just wondering, Joe, you you talked about Brandon Wilson getting some run in the box. How big is he? I, I, for some reason, have it in my mind that he's not a bigger guy. It's. I wouldn't say he's big in in terms of listing, but he did play um, in
1: college running back also, so he's got a thicker build to him. Uh, he was also a kick returner in college, very successful one at that too, played corner, played safety. So they probably see him more as, it's not so much it's the size that allows him to be have that versatility, it's the versatility and comfort in playing multiple positions that allows them to get a little creative with him, and they definitely did that last year. Uh, even though I don't think he was great at it,
0: I like the idea that they found a niche for him and were open to doing it. At least he got some snaps, right? He got some exposure to the NFL speed.
1: Yeah, that's right. And uh, we've complained before about the Bengals and Marvin Lewis not getting their young guys reps in important situations and then tend to do it while they're out of the season at at the end. But those often tend to be
0: um, valuable reps down the stretch. Some reps are better than no reps. Any other Indeed. thoughts on safeties before we move on to the specialists? Uh, no, just more.
1: I did with the corners uh, when I did my top 50 for the Bengals, I, I just went over their rankings. And I had Clayton Fedulum last year at a 30th overall in the top 50 before the season. I had Sean Williams at t- at 15th overall before the season. And I had Jesse Bates at 27th being a rookie. Uh, now I've adjusted their grades and updated them for the next year. I don't know where they fall in the rankings yet. But the highest rated guy is Jesse Bates at a 74.1, which is on the cusp. Once you get to a 75, you're really a cornerstone player at that point. And he's really on the cusp of it already uh, after one year. Uh, Sean Williams is a 73.7. Clayton Fedulam is a 70.5. And I have Brandon Wilson as a 67.9. No grade yet for Trayvon Henderson because we don't have enough film on him.
0: There you go. And are you going to be doing that for The Athletic again this year? if i do i
1: probably won't have one on each position or or each player uh my posting is cut down a little bit this year for them but i may do you know 10 10 spots at a time and do make it five posts during the the slow months of july and
0: august so you can look forward for that from joe on the athletic where he does still write to get your list of top what do you do 50 53 yeah well i did 50 you know the last three are. Well, the
1: last probably 10 are interchangeable depending on you know, setting up the best 45-man roster. But moving on to our next position, which is specialist, we're looking at kicker, punter, long snapper, and kick-punt returns, really. Uh, that's only four players because Alex Erickson really did the bulk of kick-returning and punt-returning since he's been in the league for the Bengals and has been effective and good at kick returning, not so much as a punt returner. I think he's a reliable player. I I think we have to look at him, even though he got an extension last offseason, right before the season started. We have to consider his spot, is it just as a return man? Because as a receiver, he may be considered reliable, but he's not a threat or a weapon. And because of it, his roster spot probably isn't solidified, even though he is the main return man at this point. Uh, looking at Huber and Bullock, I think you could use the same argument for both of those guys, even though Bullock received an extension last year. I think ability-wise, if you're, Zach Taylor is coming from Greg Zerline with the Rams, you'd have to think he wants a guy with a leg that can be a weapon for his offense. When his offense stalls in the 35-yard, 40-yard range, it shouldn't be an automatic punt or an automatic go-for-it on fourth down. It should be an opportunity to put points on the board. I think Kevin Huber, even though he's a kind of a fan favorite coming from Cincinnati, he is just okay. Uh, He's being paid a decent salary. I think you could find an upgrade. I think this is one of those years where they actually bring in a guy in the offseason and bring in competition for him and see how it shakes out. And then finally, Clark Harris, one of the top-paid long snappers. Uh, He's never really been a problem for us. He is getting up there in age, and he's got great hair.
0: That hair. I once saw Clark Harris. The one time I went to Bengals training camp, neither Joe nor I live in Cincinnati, I saw the specialist coming over from the side field and I saw Clark Harris and I was like, man, that hair. I I just, you know, I didn't know it was there. And then I saw it in person. I was blown away.
1: Yeah. And I was in camp last year. I went down for the athletic to cover a little bit. And Harris just had a great personality and energy about him always playing with the fans throwing footballs with them while everyone else is practicing the specialists are on the side doing you know as little work as possible but he's throwing with the fans and having a good time and signing autographs and just seemed like a general nice guy and he had a great arm throwing actually i want to see Mm -hmm. how can you get into a position where the long snapper is able to throw a pass on a punt play that's what i want to see how many fakes did we see of the rams but it was their punter that had a great arm former former high school cornerback johnny hecker yeah that's right And they were very effective with it. They used it a bunch in in primetime games, and that's when you're watching them, probably. And, yeah, he was a weapon.
0: That's right. Um, Yeah, Clark Harris, I I will echo the same thing that you observed. I saw the same behavior from him in camp. He was throwing balls with fans, and he he made a couple of jokes, I think, because he was trying to get by me. Uh, I had a good experience with Clark Harris. And also, just in terms of ability, uh, I don't know how Pro Football Focus grades long snappers, but he has been one of the top-graded long snappers for the last three years. So, I actually saw them talk about how
1: they grade it, and it's basically where the ball is supposed to be placed, and they have a like a, almost a circle, how you would have a target and see you know if he's outside the range, a little bit left, right, up, or down, and speed on getting it back there. Obviously, speed is important, keeping everything on time uh, for the kick and punch, so interesting something I know nothing about when people ask me they'll say hey who's the kicker the Bengals should draft this year I'm like I I don't know well you can look at his stats and that's as far as my knowledge of kicking and punting goes
0: Yep, yep. that's that's me too uh speaking of stats I'll just go through my thoughts on these guys quickly here I think I think I agree with you Alex Erickson has been pretty fantastic as a kick returner and he has flash as a punt returner but he's not consistent in the punt return game. And that is more important in the NFL today, I think with the NFL continuing to try to kill the kickoff, but we did see the Patriots dedicate a roster spot to Cordero Patterson, who they did use on the offensive side of the ball, but is one of the most dangerous kick returners in the NFL. Uh, we also saw teams like the saints use guys like Alvin Kamara in big spots in punt returning and kick returning. So Joe and I have talked Outside of recording, about why the Bengals aren't using Giovanni Bernard, uh, John Ross, maybe Tyler Boyd, Darius Phillips, even Brandon Wilson, guys that were highly productive returners in college, uh, big playmakers, and why we haven't seen them more in the punt return game. Even the kick return game, to be honest. I mean, Erickson has been good there. He actually recorded the fastest speed of any Bengal, according to the next gen stats guys, in 2018. So maybe. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, right? With John Ross on the team? That is not who you would expect to see there. Uh, Talking about the kicker and the punter, I think everybody thinks that Randy Bullock is just another guy. Everyone has a a sour taste in their mouth from Jake Elliott going to Philadelphia and then making big kicks for them in a Super Bowl year. It is worth noting that in 2018, Jake Elliott wasn't a ton better than Randy Bullock. He missed just as many field goals from 50-plus. He kicked a few more in the 40 to 49 yard range. He still has a bigger, bigger leg. He has a higher ceiling. I'd still rather have Jake Elliott than Randy Bullock, but it is worth noting for those uh, haters or whatever you want to call Truthers, Sure. Truthers. Uh, Jake Elliott wasn't great in 2018. Well, you, we should also add Jake Elliott is a free agent this year, although restricted. I think it's even exclusive rights. Oh man. Even worse. I, I don't think he's coming back to Cincinnati. Uh, Regardless, I think this is still a position of need the next time the Bengals are competitive. Uh, Kickers in the NFL have weirdly been worse in the last couple seasons after we had kind of a golden age of kicking. It seems like it kind of went at the same time they moved the PAT back. It seems like kickers got worse. That could just be my perception. Uh, Regardless, the Bengals last year punted five times inside the opponent's 40-yard line. And this is what Joe was talking about. It shouldn't be an automatic punt or go for it in that part of the field. And, and part of this is Marvin Lewis, you know, punting when he shouldn't punt inside the 50. I also looked inside the 50 when I was starting this research and, and that doesn't have anything to do with your kicker. That's more of a, you know, what the math says you should do in terms of expected winning percentage. Right. But he wasn't great on 50, 50 plus yard kicks. He got blocked on the longest kick he took in the year, which, you know, hard to say if that's on him or not, but, you want a guy who you feel like has a higher ceiling, at kicker, especially when you get into the playoffs, and that is somewhere the Bengals obviously want to go. Huber, uh, this is something I was surprised you said he's average because he is average, and and this is going to be a controversial take, I think. This is might, might be one of the more unpopular things we've said on this podcast, but I think Huber is, for me, in the same boat as Bullock. He's in the bottom half of the league the last few years in hang time, average distance of his punts net yards. He's been in the middle of the pack in terms of the percentage of his kicks that have been returned. He's, you know, he's been pretty accurate. He's been a pretty good, you know, coffin corner kind of puncher for them, but he doesn't look like the weapon he looked like when he was at UC. I remember when the Bengals picked him in the fifth round, I was actually okay with it. I was okay with them spending a fifth round pick on a puncher because when he was at UC he was an absolute weapon. He would flip the field and he, he looked, you know, he looked deadly the same way Brad wing at LSU looked like a real weapon at the punting position. Not Brad wing hasn't worked out in the NFL either, but at this point, Kevin Huber 10 years later, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of fan goodwill for him, but I don't think, you know, I, I, you you shouldn't be stuck on him. Yeah. And I think of the Seahawks
1: last year, they had, Jake, or John Ryan, I think it was, uh, and a good veteran punter, and they saw in the draft someone they consider this is the best punting prospect we've ever seen, and they took him, and he had a fantastic rookie year, I mean, completely a weapon for them, Uh, and they released Ryan, their longtime punter, and I'm not saying that automatically will happen with the Bengals, first of all, you need a great prospect there to entice you on such a move, but I could see the Bengals being open to upgrading that position if they find one, and thinking of how the Rams really put an emphasis on both their kicker and punter being a weapon of some sort. Uh, I could see Zach Taylor looking at this unit with a uh, much more, you know, wanting to upgrade that spot and, and being open to it, even though both guys are making money.
0: And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out too, right? Like Zach Taylor might come in with more scrutiny. Uh, these guys are actually pretty average, Darren. What, what are we doing here? Why, why have we been sitting on these guys? And then Darren Simmons, who is one of the few holdovers at a major position? We'll find out how much power he has, how attached he is to these guys, because I think he does probably have quite a bit of wrapper with Kevin Huber, Clark Harris, Randy Bullock's been around for a lot less time. I think there's probably less commitment there outside of the the contract, but Huber and Huber and Harris are long-term Bengals at this point. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out.
1: Yeah, for sure. And if uh, you know, I would love to hear that response, or hear what Simmons says, because you kind of get the feeling of. Well, this is how we've always done it. Or we're not gonna, you know, waste the money and and go chase another um, kicker just to be wrong. You know, kind of that fear factor I feel the Bengals operate in when it comes to making changes like this that are necessary. So I'd love to hear his response on that, especially since he was the coach that was held over in terms of coordinators. So he better be the right guy, and he better be the guy that um, you know helps fix the, this going forward. You can't have an average
0: special teams unit when you
1: are spending a good amount of money on them.
0: And this isn't to knock Darren Simmons, I think. Let's just be clear about that. He is very well-respected around the league. He was a head coaching candidate from the special teams coordinator position, which to me is mostly unheard of. But yeah, I would also be very interested to hear, what are we doing here? Especially at Caker and Punter. And that's especially a question because you look at the positional payroll and the Bengals are paying a lot of money at this position. They're coming in at, what, what was it, Ninth. Ninth last year, seventh this year. Ninth last year, seventh this year. Yeah. So, so Kevin Huber and 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 Randy Bullock are due raises. They're going to bring in another about a hundred, uh, about one million dollars in raises from 2018 to 2019. So, this is really a question of are we spending this money in the right place? And, and I and, would take that's easy to answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at you look at some of the top teams last year. Baltimore is the top spender in uh, at special teams at $9.7 million. And obviously, I have Justin Tucker, who is he, he had his struggles in 2018, but generally thought to be the best kicker in the NFL. New England comes in at second, and that's not even counting what they pay Matthew Slater, a special teamer for them, uh, who's been a long term special teamer that they've kept under contract just to play, you know, gunner. Essentially. Right. And Cordero Patterson, who they went out and paid three point five million dollars to, to to return kicks. Los Angeles Rams, fourth on the list last year at seven point five million, only three hundred thousand dollars behind the Patriots. But they get good production out of theirs, the Rams,
1: uh, you know, from kicker and punter wise. Yeah, I do think obviously the good teams are investing or have stability at those positions, it seems, but they also have weapons. I mean Justin Tucker, Greg Zerline um has never been a bad kicker and even and at punter so the teams that are spending feel good about why they're spending on it but they're also the good teams so I don't know which link or which chicken or which egg that is but uh
0: I don't think the Bengals are getting their money's worth for their current setup I would agree with that I think I think what it boils down to is when you are ready to win and compete in the playoffs you need to have a, a good special teams unit and and that's kind of the chicken and the egg for me. I don't know. I don't know how you go about doing it. But when you need to win, you need to have a kicker that you know. When you go out to try to get three points, you get the three points because a missed field goal in the playoffs can be really backbreaking. I don't want to miss a fourth and sixth play when they could have kicked a fifty-five yard field goal and instead
1: had to go for it in a playoff game. Can, you know, can you imagine getting to that spot and needing a long kick and we've got to trot out Randy Bullock or go for a long fourth down?
0: That is frightening to me right right so some work to be done in the specialist unit this has been a place the Bengals I think have been a little complacent they brought in Zach or Jake Elliott to try to shake things up and then decided to let him walk which still boggles my mind I don't know how you draft a guy and then think that oh you kicked worse in preseason games so we're gonna let you go you spend a draft pick on him you uh, made that
1: decision as soon as you drafted him
0: when you when you took him,
1: as the number one kicker in the fifth round that was your decision right then and there that he's your kicker because you don't that's a premium you might, that's a first round pick in terms of kicker you know that's you have spent a premium pick on that position and you know in my mind that's inexcusable to go through camp and preseason just to cut him and allow him to walk away because it even if he would have been bumpy for the first two years those are losing seasons and that, in hindsight yes but the Bengals have that's one of the things we've talked about they've operated under a win now mode and it's gotten them nothing and has lost them, and has cost them some young players getting playing time or development time for this next phase because they had such a short-sighted window
0: it's been a little bit myopic that's for sure So tomorrow, Joe, we're going to talk about linebackers. This is another position of scrutiny for Bengals fans right along there. I think probably with kicker, but it's obviously more impactful. These guys are on the field a lot more than the specialists are. So we can look forward to that tomorrow and maybe we'll have a defensive coordinator. And we've got a good guest coming on tomorrow. We're not going to tell you who it is now, but you'll want to listen. I don't even know who it is. I'm excited. I'm going to be around tomorrow. I hope you are too. We'll see you then Bengals fans.